One of my favorite passages of scripture that I come back to often is found over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. A little ways down in verse 22, Paul says, Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. I do all this to spread the good news. And in doing so, I enjoy its blessings. Another translation says, To the weak I am weak, to the strong I am strong. My own, you know, I will, I'll do what it takes without compromising God's word. I'll do what it takes. I'll become all things to all people that some might come to know faith in Christ. And we talked about this a few weekends ago, how the Apostle Paul sacrificed so much. He sacrificed his preferences, his tradition. He sacrificed his uh, geography, his finances, his health, his body, his time. He sacrificed his life because he loved the world that Jesus died for more than he loved himself. And one of the things that I have come to appreciate in my eight years of being here on staff at the church is the uh, 52 years of history of this church, of men and women who over time have sacrificed a lot to become all things to all people, to see men and women come to faith in Christ. And I think about those early pioneers and the sacrifices they made in terms of their preferences, their style, their tradition, the sacrifice of sweat and toil, sacrifice financially, because they really believed what Paul was talking about there, that sometimes, you know, we've got to do things differently. It may not be preferential, but differently, because we want to reach the world and let them know about God's love. One of those individuals who has since gone home to be with the Lord many years ago uh, wrote, I would almost say prophetically, before he passed away, these words, which are part of our storyboard that's out there, and I hope that you'll visit it on that purple wall. But here's what he wrote. Nothing will continue to happen on the corner of Hobson and College unless there is a burning desire for people to pray for a revival in our church now. We can never reach a plateau and think the job is complete. It will take a desire on the people's part to see church growth. If old methods don't work, find new ones. Allow the Lord to bring revival to this congregation. Charles Shearer, former trustee. And I wish I had had the privilege of meeting Charles because there's something that was burning in his heart that also burns in my heart and my life as well. And that is to make a difference to, to see hearts and lives truly transformed and changed. See, our church has a vision. We have a vision that goes beyond our walls. We want to see our campus really multiplied in many different communities through what's called multi-site. We'll be telling you more about that after the first of the year. And so in order for us to, to better do that, we have uh, chosen a new name by which we will be doing ministry. The elders have chose the name, I'm sure you've heard uh, by now, the Compass Church. And the reason for doing that is we don't want to be limited by geography or a geographical name. And we want a name that can be a tool to help us engage the culture that's around us. I'm going to share you with you why we arrived at that name after looking at all the input that you had given and others as well. But first, I want a few other people to weigh in on this. Pastor Rick, who's been on our staff for 26 years, He's only 28 years old. It's amazing. Uh, he's going to share some thoughts with us from his history. Then two of our missionary partners. And remember, our, we all are missionaries, folks. All of us are missionaries. They're just the ones who are going to places we can't reach. And then we have a surprise uh, at the end of the video. So watch this. 
Hi, I'm Rick Pearson, and I've had the privilege to be on staff here for the past 26 years. And one of the great memories I have is the day that we moved onto this site back in 1985. There was a large caravan of cars that uh, came over here, and we were all filled with excitement and anticipation because we knew that God was doing a new work. And you know, I feel that same way today because I know there's a lot of excitement and anticipation because I know God is going to do an even greater work through us today. Hello, we're the Falcons. We are your missionaries serving in Europe. Congratulations on the new name of your church, Compass Church. And God bless you as you reach out for the good news to the greater Naperville area, various parts of America, and throughout the world. Yes, Señor, os bendiga mucho. Hi, we're the Pattersons. We're your missionaries in Slovakia. Congratulations on your new name, the Compass Church. May you always follow God's direction as you serve Him here, here, and far. Evangelical Free is changing their name to Compass? Yes, praise the Lord. This is going to be awesome because it is really giving the message out when you come to church there. You're going to find your way to Jesus Christ. You're going to find your way in, in dealing with life. And so we are so proud that you've chosen the name Compass. Compass, go with it. All right, so anyway... Now, we're, uh, we're really blessed to have the mayor as a friend. He loves the Lord. He's a believer, and I think that's just a, a wonderful thing. Our chief of police is a believer. Our fire chief is a believer, and uh, those last two attend our church. So, you know, praise God for the impact on our community. But I want to tell you a story this morning, and it starts on a cloudy, calm day, but there was very good visibility. Barry, my friend, and I were fishing he had invited me to go salmon fishing with him off the west coast of British uh, Columbia. He had been given a, a trip for two by a vendor that he worked with, and he asked me to go along. And it was really the fishing trip of a lifetime. I mean, it will forever stay etched in my mind. So we got out on uh, our little Boston whaler, 15-foot boat, and uh, we started motoring away from the dock, and we went quite a few miles down one of the inner passageways there along the west coast of British Columbia. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but whether it's a clear day or a cloudy day, it's stunningly beautiful, as you can tell by the picture, when you're making your way through those inner passages. Orcas go by, you know, dolphins, and there's all kinds of wildlife and fish there. So we just motored and motored and motored and motored and followed the twists and turns. So finally, we arrived at a spot, and don't ask me why we had to go to that spot, but this was going to be the place we were going to slaughter the salmon. So we got our uh, fishing tackle out and baited up and threw our lures in the water. 60 pulls began to troll. Well, behind a mountain must have been a fog monster that was watching its radar and saw us coming and thought to itself, I will surround these two fishermen. Because it seemed as soon as our bait hit the water, the fog just sucked us in. I mean, encompassed and surrounded us. Could only see like five or six feet ahead of us. It was not a good thing. And we had two choices at that moment. We could either wait it out for the fog to lift, which could happen in an hour or two. It was August, and up in that area of the country, it, sometimes the fog will actually lay down for several days, and we weren't prepared to be out there that long. Or we could head home to our lodge. Now, the problem was the lodge was a floating lodge. It was on the water right next to the shore, 
And we no longer had our visual cues that we had kind of marked out as we made our way to this spot. And the lodge was miles and miles away. Well, fortunately, they had prepared us for just such an event. And when we arrived there, there was an orientation session, and we were all told how to use the compass and the map and the coordinates. Now, my friend Barry uh, had a difficult time. It's just not in his nature to pay close attention for very long. It's not necessarily in my nature, but I'm a firstborn, and I tend to be the cautious type A one, so I listen to the whole lesson on how to use a compass and a map in case something were to go wrong. And then the guide said, never, ever leave the lodge without it. Again, type A personality kicked in. It was in my pocket. So I said, no problem, Mary. I've got a compass and I've got a map. And I've got the coordinates. I'm going to get us back. So I pull out the map, spread it out. And the coordinates for the lodge were right over there. And I put the, you know, the, the flat edge of the compass there and uh, aligned it toward the north. And then dialed it in toward the comp- to the coordinates that were on the map. And I said, okay, now go slow. And we couldn't see the shore. So we had to be really careful. And I said, just, just go really slow, head in that direction. And then after a, a mile or two, he looked at me. He said, as he stopped the motor, he said, do you know what you're doing? And I said, yeah, I know. I paid attention, man. I got this whole thing figured out. Just, just steer. So he steered a little bit further. And he stopped. And he goes, I mean, do you really know what you're doing? Do you think, do you really know how to use a compass? Because... If you're steering us out into the Pacific, we're going to get like way out there, run out of gas, and then we're going to die. I said, look, I listen. It works. Just follow the coordinates. You, you just drive the boat, and I'll tell you where to go. So we just kept putting along and putting along, making turns and twists until finally I said, okay, you got to find the shore. I want you to ease in very close and about three or four feet from the shore, we could make it out. I said, now, just, just stay parallel to the shore because we're coming up to what should be an opening. And when you get to that opening, you need to turn right because that's our inlet. And, and we just take it a few hundred yards, we follow the bend, and then our lodge should be right there. So sure enough, there was an opening. And we, mo- we took our turn, and my hands were like sweating. My heart was racing because I'm thinking to myself, you know, I hope this is the right opening. I'm either going to be a hero or I'm going to be, you know, we're going to be in really big trouble. So we made the turn. We came around the bend. And there it was. There was the lodge. And I felt like Christopher Columbus, man. I was like Magellan. You know, I, I did it. I got us there. And for about two minutes, I was Barry's hero. But, you know, I was not the one who got us there. Sure, I read the compass, but it was the compass pointing us home. That's what got us there. When the Apostle Paul came back to Ephesus on his second missionary journey, he encountered 12 men who were in a spiritual fog. They were lost. They were disoriented. They kind of had an idea of where they were supposed to go spiritually, but they didn't have the complete picture. They had been disciples of John the Baptist, who we read about in the Gospels. But they hadn't made any changes since then. They didn't know John's full story. In Acts chapter 19, we read about that. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn open there with me, I would appreciate that. Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. Here's how it reads. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior provinces... 
Finally, he came to Ephesus where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We don't know what you mean. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism was to demonstrate a desire to turn from sin and turn to God. John himself told the people to believe in Jesus, the one John said would come later. Now, they hadn't heard that part about believing in Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied there were about 12 men in all. So we're not sure when these men encountered John, if they were his direct disciples or indirect, that the only thing they had heard was John talk about repenting from sin and turning to God. You can read more about it in Mark chapter 1. So they had repented from sin and they were turning to God, but they weren't quite sure what was to happen next. They had missed out on John's other words when John points to Jesus and says, now here's the one who can save you. I baptize you toward repentance. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So they only have a little bit of the truth. And, and so John, or, uh, Paul fills them in with the rest of the story. Then he takes them to the Caesar River and he baptizes them in that river. And they come out and then he lays his hands on them and he prays over the twelve. And then something very unusual, very abnormal happens. With the coming of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they begin to speak in these utterances called tongues. Now, what I want you to understand is that was not the norm. Other instances that never happened. It happened uniquely and specifically in this instance, from what I can gather, in order to make everyone clear, especially those 12 men, that now they were complete. When you and I receive Christ in our life, we receive the Spirit by faith. And should not expect that there would be some kind of utterances. And people that teach you that there has to be, you know, that you have to speak in tongues as a sign of having the Holy Spirit are misusing the Bible because there are other instances when that never happens at all. In fact, most instances it doesn't. But here's the point. The Apostle Paul had become a compass for these 12 men. By his actions, by his life and his words, he pointed them to Christ. You and I have a mission field. We talked about it a couple, or last weekend. We said our mission field is where we work, where we play, where we go to school. It's where we shop regularly, eat regularly, buy gas regularly. It's that bus we ride normally. It's that train we ride all the time. It's where we work out on a regular basis. Wherever you frequent on a regular basis, that is your mission field. Everyone in this room is a missionary if you're a follower of Christ. Please understand that. The whole idea that, you know, we have missionaries we send out, they're just, they're just who we are, except they're dispatched further away. The question is, how are you by your life, by your words, by your actions, how are you and how am I pointing people to Jesus and the truth? How are we together uh, on this corner pointing people to the truth? If we all disappeared this morning, would the, would the communities around us miss us? Because we so point to Christ as the hope of the world. I don't know about you, but this week, uh, this past week, I practiced what I spoke on last weekend. I uh, purposely uh, began and I've begun to pray everywhere I go, claiming wherever I go, the people in that place for Jesus Christ. 
been doing that and excited to do it. And yesterday morning at about 5.30, I was, I was running on a treadmill at the gym where I work out. And uh, I just was finishing my devotions on the treadmill and uh, talking to the Lord. And then I was reminded, okay, i got to pray for the people in the gym. So I just lifted all five people up to the Lord because on a Saturday morning, nobody works at 5.30. Now, there's probably more. There's probably like 15 in there. And I just said, Lord, I claim these people for you. You died for these people. You love these people. So please use me, use others. May they come to faith. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you thought that way this week at work, at school, you know, and your classes, at, at the fl- place that you frequent to buy your coffee or your Coke or whatever it is? If you forgot, write it down. Write it on the palm of your hand. You have my permission, all right? Write it on the palm of your hand. And just keep it there and don't forget. Because that, you know, how many believe prayer changes people? Like, could you say something? Yeah, yeah don't you? Yeah, I mean, I believe... I believe it does, and, and that's what's missing. Two things are missing. It's, it's one, just the courage to begin to pray for it. And secondly, I'm going to talk about it next weekend. I, I think it'll be one of the most important messages I preach here. One of the reasons why the church is failing in our country today is because we as Christians don't know how to trust the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And we're going to see how, how Paul experienced the supernatural power of the Spirit while he was living there in Ephesus. And how do you and I experience that as well? We'll talk about it next weekend. But you and I have been called to be living compasses, pointing, pointing people to Jesus by our lives and by our words and our actions. The question is, well, how do you do that, Pastor? How do I become, how do I become a living compass? How do we become the compass church? How do we live up to the phrase? And I just want you to jot down a couple of things. Number one, a, I want you to remember that a compass is a simple instrument. There's nothing complicated. There's nothing difficult about it. No matter how fancy they make it look, when it's all said and done, a compass is a very simple instrument. You know, when the Apostle Paul went to the godless city of Corinth, he came there and there are a group of folks there who were into like rhetoric and fancy logic and, and uh, philosophy. And, and Paul says, when I came to you, I didn't come with all this complexity. I came with a very simple message. Here's what he said. He said, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very what? Plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit next weekend. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in, finish it with me, the power of God. Paul preached faith alone in Christ alone, and that's really our simple message. Say it with me, faith alone in Christ alone. One more time, faith alone in Christ alone. Man, our message is so simple. We're, what we're all about in this complex world is so simple. People ought to look at our lives and go, man, you're simple. And we ought to take it as a compliment. John 3.16 says this. Read it with me. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And how about this passage out of Romans? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, that's simple, isn't it? 
compass is simple and our message is simple. Write this thought down, would you? A compass always points north. A compass that works, all right? That little needle will always point toward magnetic north. So you will always, always, always know where north is when you have a compass that works. The same thing is true in your life and my life. Our lives, like how we live our lives, should always be pointing people to Jesus. Now, I have to tell you, there are some times in my life, in my family, where I work, in my neighborhood, on the freeway, that my life and my actions are not pointing to Jesus. Anybody else relate to that? Uh, there's a whole, you know, a, a, a holy murmur and groan, right? Right. I mean, sometimes, man, I, I know sometimes I am not pointing to Jesus. I'm either pointing to myself or something else. But, you know, by and large, my, my desire and our desire should be point people to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. Only he can change their lives. The other day I was sitting on an airplane and next to me was this guy. And my prayer is like, Lord, if you can use me on this plane, I'm available. But I got a lot of other things I like to do. And so I'm looking over at him and he's got this little book out. And it looks like the picture of Jesus on the cover. So, not that I've ever met Jesus or seen him, but it was a portrait, obviously, that, you know, of what Jesus might look like. So I thought, okay, I'll ask him a question. I, so I said, well, what are you reading there? And he goes, well, I'm, I'm trying to get back to the basics of my faith. And uh, so I, I said, so are you a Christian? He goes, yep. And he asked me, he said, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. And then he kind of pulled his book out a little bit more. I could tell by the picture on the front that he must be a Mormon because the, uh, for whatever reason, Mormons use like 1950s graphics of Jesus and that, the whole, you know, picture story stuff. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be an interesting conversation. So we get into this conversation and, and we're talking and I'm praying and I'm, I'm sure he was praying for me too. And we get, we get to the end of it. Okay, and I'm not here, I'm not here to bash Mormons, but I'm going to tell you the truth. All right, we, we get to the end and he goes, all right, now that you know I'm a Mormon, do you believe I'm a Christian? And I said, nope. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, because you don't worship the same Jesus that's in the Bible. You guys believe that Jesus was the brother of the devil. He was the good one. The devil was the bad one. You believe that uh, Jesus is God with a small g and that you and I someday will all be small g gods. You believe the Father came down in flesh and bones and impregnated, physically impregnated Mary, and that's how Jesus was born. In fact, you guys believe that the Father was human and just ascended to such a state of righteousness that he became God. I said, you don't believe in salvation by Jesus alone. You talk about it. I wasn't quite that dramatic by any means. You talk about it, but, but it's not what you actually believe. And if you talk to a Mormon, they want you to think they're Christians. That's so important to them. And they, and they will talk in the language that makes it sound like they believe in the same Jesus that you do. But they don't. Because Jesus was not the brother of the devil. Or any other of the garbage that they put out there. So we had quite a conversation and we agreed to disagree. And he just couldn't understand why I couldn't see the truth from his perspective. And we have some other things we'll talk about some other time. But I want to remind you this morning that our lives, our, our compass is to point to Jesus only. Acts 4.12 puts it this way. Say it with me. There is salvation in no one else, 
God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I love John chapter 8, verse 12. Read it with me. Jesus spoke to the people one more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You know, we live in a culture, and you young people live in a culture right now where people are trying to make, uh, do a Jesus makeover. See, we have to accept that Jesus existed, but we don't really like his edginess in the Bible. So what we do is we dismiss the Bible, we accept a historical figure named Jesus, but we do a cultural makeover on him, and we're trying to make him more like a Buddha or a Dalai Lama. So it's easy to accept a Jesus who says, love everybody and there are many ways to heaven. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And our job is not to point to Dr. Phil. Our job is not to point to Oprah. Our job is not to point to Dalai Lama. Our job is to point to Jesus Christ and his cross as the only means of salvation. Do you believe it? If you're here this morning and you don't know him yet, I encourage you, come talk to us. Or just, just listen over the next few months and see if God will reveal to you that Christ is the only means of salvation. We're glad you're here third thing I want you to jot down. A compass gives 360 degrees of direction. That's what's wonderful about a compass. If you set it, it it will always point to magnetic north, and then you'll know where east is, where west is, and where south is. And you can take that compass and find direction in any area, in any way. I mean, northeast, northwest, southeast, southwest. I mean, it's just all nicely laid out there. So a beautiful thing about a compass As a compass, our lives, our church, needs to point people to truth in every direction of their life, in every area of their life. God's word is wonderful. He speaks to us about marriage. He speaks to us about children. He speaks to us about parenting. He speaks to us about finances. He speaks to us about truth. He speaks to us about false lies. He speaks to us about the future. He speaks to us about forgiveness. I mean, the word just goes on and on. 66 books giving us full scope of direction in our lives. We don't have to be like so many people today who are wandering out there confused and disoriented, not knowing how they're supposed to put their lives together. We should stand out in the crowd as a people who aren't perfect, but have a sense of direction in every area of our life. And it comes from knowing God's word. Now, uh, it's coming toward the Christmas season, and I'm actually excited this year about Christmas. I kind of had lost my, I mean, for the real meaning of Christmas, I'm always excited about, but I kind of lost my excitement for Christmas gatherings as my kids got older and, and moved out of the home. But now I got grandkids. And uh, uh, we get to go buy toys for them. My problem, Marsha keeps saying to me, you got to wait till a little bit older to buy that, right? Okay, so I've kind of backed off on that. Although my little, you know, the other thing with the grandparenting that I'm finding is, is buying toys competitively. Uh, like my, my little granddaughter, Catalina, had her first birthday and. Marsha and I went out and we bought something that I thought would be like the, 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 the gift, you know, where people go, ooh, oh, who bought that? Oh, Grandma, Grandpa, I'm about that. Oh, nice. Right? But, doggone it, man. 
the grandparents from Ecuador bought her a little electric car. You know, and I'm like, man, that was, why didn't we buy that? So, you know, now I got to buy a, like a Jeep or something for her. I mean, it's just, you know what I mean? But, but here's, here's the deal, all right? Um, what's so fun now is we can go out and buy that, and then we can give it to the parents, and they can put it together. That's, yes. Because, because when, when my kids are growing up, I hated stuff that I had to put together. Because the definition of a real man is he doesn't have to read the instructions. He just looks at the picture. And I've never been a real man. Because when I, I don't like to read instructions. And, and I look at the picture and I can never figure it out. And there are all these pieces left over. My youngest son, Tim, uh, who is very mechanically inclined... Even like at the age of seven or eight, he'd see me trying to put something together for me. He'd go, Dad, step aside. You know, he'd pull it out and read the directions. I'm always glad when he's home and we have something. He just goes, Tim, you put it together. And he's so good at it. Same thing is true in our lives. We just want to do our lives without reading the directions. And we get ourselves in a mess. We get lost. We get disoriented. But God's word is like, God's word is this compass that gives us exact coordinates how to live our life. Look what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Well, this next passage where God is speaking about how he's going to change his people's hearts. It says, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Read this next passage with me, please. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, folks, if that isn't a compass, what is? I will show you the coordinates to take. And we're supposed to show people that, both individually and as a church, the Compass Church. All right, one more thought to write down. A compass gives us assurance in uncertain times. A compass gives us assurance in uncertain times. How many of you would agree with me that we are living in very uncertain times right now? Man, you feel it, don't you? Uncertain in morality, oh my goodness. Uncertain economically, uncertain politically, uncertain spiritually. I mean, people are confused. Many of them are, are searching for direction in life and they're moving further away from the truth over here. They're being deceived by lies. They're putting a faith, their faith in what does not work. Others have bits and pieces and they're wandering around, but they don't have the whole story. And they need someone, you or me or us together, to step into their lives with a sense of confidence, a sense of hope, a sense of encouragement, a conviction that God's in control and we're going someplace and there's a purpose for living. They need that. Like a compass to guide and direct them. This coming Christmas I'm going to be doing a series called The Invitation. It's based on a book that was written several years ago called uh, uh, Dinner with a Perfect Stranger. And uh, part of the message is going to include me and an actor. I'm going to play the role of Jesus. And, and the actor is going to play the role of a businessman who Jesus has invited to have dinner. 
And they sit down, and over the course of the meals, what happens is this man begins to probe and ask this person who he thinks is an actor, he thinks this is a big joke, he starts to kind of sarcastically probe who Jesus really is. How can you be the Son of God? How can Christianity be the only way? What do you mean you are the only means of salvation? And I want to encourage you, if you have any friends who are skeptics, bring them to the series. Like in one of the messages, I'm going to deal with why Hinduism, Buddhism, and, and Islam, and some of the other faiths out there, why they don't even compare to Christianity. Why they don't have the answers, but Christianity and Christ does. It'll be very unoffensive. It'll be in a dialogue form with kind of a question format afterwards. So, you know, our whole goal in that series is to bring certainty into people's lives. So pray for me and the actor that we'll be able to learn our parts and that God will use this. It could be a great time of seeing people end up with confidence about what really matters in life. You know, uh, our hope and our strength comes from believing the truth about life and about God. I love the passage in Hebrews 11. 1. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. That's like Barry and me in the boat. I, I couldn't see the lodge. I couldn't see where we needed to be. But I had absolute faith in that compass that was leading us. And so I love what it says in the book of Romans. Say it with me. So faith comes from hearing That is, hearing the good news about Christ. So, yeah, I've got faith and confidence, and it's based on Jesus Christ and his word of truth. And the Bible says to you and me that we're to go out into our world. We're to tear down the walls of deception and despair and discouragement. We're to clear the fog away out of people's lives. And we are there to point them with our life and with our words and with our events and our testimony to the one person who can transform their lives, who can give them hope and confidence, and his name is Jesus Christ. He alone can do it. And that's why we speak of the Compass Church. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and I want us to sing together that song one more time, a reprisal of it, of bringing down those walls and seeing people's hearts and lives set free as only God can do. And then don't leave. We're going to do something kind of special at the end here. But let's be the difference that God can use. Lord, here we are this morning. We want to be living compasses. We want to point people to hope. We want you to start a revival in our hearts and revival in our church and revival in this community and revival in this country. Lord, you've done it before. You did it in Jerusalem. You did it in this nation in the 1700s, the 1800s. God, do it again in a day such as we live in, we pray.